The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. I'm ready to get into the Word this morning. I'm excited to get into the Word together. If you have uh, the ability to take some notes, uh, feel free to jot a few things down. I believe that God is speaking to us together as we're together. He's also speaking to us individually as you get a chance to review the Word and, uh, and get into it in your own time. I trust that God's going to show you some really great things uh, for your life and the lives of those around you. Here's a few things that we're going to find as we get into the Word. Now, I, I like to have uh, things to look forward to. Uh, that's part of that is kind of my personality. I guess I'm maybe a little reward-driven, right? I mean, if I was a donkey, which I've been accused a few times of being such, I would probably need the carrot dangling down in front, or else it's kind of like, what's the point, you know? So, so it's just kind of my personality to offer some things. It's not some, you know, teaching technique or something like that. It really is, I need motivation, uh, or else I might lose uh, interest. So, I want to offer these things to kind of motivate, as we get into the Word, some things that you're going to find. One, we're going to find what God wants for every part of our lives. I mean, for every part of our lives. When you stop and think about that, you have to acknowledge that your life has different parts. And, and that's really not hard for us to do. We're, we're pretty complex people, and, and much of life is complicated. I mean, uh, I don't know of much that has come easy, especially over the past couple of years. Things seem to be more, more and more complicated. Uh, but there's something that God wants for every part of our life. And when we pause and think about that, it's worth acknowledging what are the parts of my life, you know. I mean, there are the, the things that are real easy because they're tangible. I mean, I'm, I'm physical. I'm, I've got a body. God wants something for my body. Uh, I have a mind. I have a thought life, you know. I mean, uh, God is interested in bringing something into that. I'm a spirit man. I have a spirit man in me. I'm a spiritual being. And, and God wants something for that. So we're going to see what God wants for every aspect of our life. And that's revealed through uh, one of the prayers of the apostles there. We're going to find something else. We're going to find what glorifies God, what brings God glory. Uh, there's very, something very specific that we're called to that brings God glory. And it's important as we uh, live out our lives to see to it that we're living out life in such a way that we're glorifying God. And then another thing that we're going to find is how to... to have a joy-filled life. I mean, there's some biblical instruction in opening the door for, for joy to fill our, our lives. And I think that's a really big deal. I, I like to talk about joy a lot for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, it's a message that I'm just attracted to. We all have things that we like or, or have preferences uh, toward, and that just happens to be one. Two, I think it's a really massive part of the gospel, and it's greatly overlooked. And then three, it's something that's under tremendous attack. And it's something that we all desperately need, and we need to safeguard and protect that which we have. And God's made a way for us to, to walk in joy. It's very important that we do so. So as we get into the Word here, I want to jump right into what God wants for every aspect of your life. If you have your Bibles, we're going to look at uh, 3 John. We're going to look at chapter 1, verse 2. 3 John. So you have uh, the Apostle John here writing to a group of believers. Now, this is a group of people that he has... has uh, uh, helped introduce the gospel to. He's excited about their growth and their development and their maturity as believers. Uh, there's been change and transformation. Just like the gospel promises, uh, old things pass away, new things come, 
And John is watching the, the, this transformation take place from the outside, and he's really excited about it. He's excited to see people living and separating from things that were, were sinful and, and prone to bondage and captivity and destruction. He's proud to see these people stepping away from that and stepping into uh, the teachings of the gospel and the results that come with that. And I use the word proud on purpose. Now, I know that that's a word that can provoke you know, some different thoughts because pride would be listed as a sin. But when he's talking here, he's referring to this group of people as his children. And I know that now I now have children as a father. When I see my sons do things that are good things, uh, I'm proud of them. I get excited by that. And, and so when I read this, I have the context of, of a father figure watching his children do good things. And, and with that context, I think this guy is really enjoying writing this letter. I mean, he's not having to go in and clean house. He's not having to go in and issue a bunch of corrections and, and, and ultimatums and all of these things. He's going in excited about what he sees in the lives of these people that he's so invested in. And, and he's opening up this letter with something that he's obviously very excited about in his prayer life. And, and here's where we'll, we'll see the beginning of the message today. In 3 John chapter 1, verse 2, he says, Beloved, I pray in all respects that you may uh, prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. He's in prayer that in every respect, in all aspects of your living, that you would prosper. Now, this is a really great thing to consider. I mean, by itself, the word prosper is kind of just a generic word or a generic thought. But when we apply it to uh, uh, something or someone, it becomes really powerful and effective to think about. I mean, the idea of something prospering is the idea of something succeeding, something moving forward or, or, or being productive. In fact, one definition of prosper is to cause to succeed. So what a great prayer to pray. I mean, to think about any aspect of your living. I, I pray that in every aspect of your life that you're caused to succeed, that you're led to success. Caused by what? Well, in this case, it would be caused by who, and that's Jesus. That Jesus would bring success into every aspect of your living that Jesus would make your thoughts successful, that he would make your, your body successful with health and, and, and vibrant life, that he would make your, your spirit man successful, that you would be free from, from uh, the, the darkness and the, the rejection that exists in this world. And all of these things are available to believers through Jesus and only through Jesus. He truly is the way. When you consider this idea, this prayer of prosperity entering into your life, it, it, it triggers a number of different thoughts uh, for me personally. One, you know, what does that mean? How does that look? Uh, what would it take to see that come to pass in my life? These are the kind of things that I like to look for in the scripture. I want to give you a few passages to build on here as we look for prosperity, functioning, and thriving in every aspect of our living. To be caused to succeed. Here's a few verses from the Proverbs. Now, the Proverbs are, are really great uh, to, to look for, for, uh, for direction, for correction, for a lot of insight. It's, it's a great place for, for counsel, uh, to, to learn the things that, that work, to be warned of the things that don't work. Uh, the Proverbs are a really great place to find truths. And so here's a couple of truths that we can hang on 
to for, uh, for prosperity. Proverbs 11.25. It says, the generous man will be prosperous. What an interesting thought. The generous man will be prosperous. I mean, I always have to, to overcome the idea that the Proverbs are kind of like God's fortune cookies, right? I mean, you can read that and it can just be like, hmm, that's very intriguing. And then you just put it to the side and it doesn't do anything. But think about that. The generous man will be prosperous. Well, I can tell you for much of my life, I waited to be prosperous before I was generous. I mean, what an interesting way to word that, that the generous man will be prosperous. Generosity is a state of mind. It's a lifestyle. It's not about bank accounts and how much someone has to give. It's the idea that they are a giver to start with. It's the reason why Jesus would say things that would be true, that would be uh, uh, edifying and uplifting and not be a burden when he would say the one that's faithful in little will be faithful in much. And if we wait for prosperity to be generous, then we'll miss the boat, so to speak. So when I see something like this in the Word, I try to take it and introduce it into my prayer life. Father, I want to be a generous man. Will you show me how to be generous in, in any situation, in that relationship over there, in that situation over there? If I want it to be led to success, if I want it to be prosperous, then, then teach me what I need to do to bring generosity into that situation. I could bring generosity into my relationship with my wife or my kids or, or my co-workers or, or any aspect of life. I could bring generosity into any aspect of living. If God simply will show and lead, we can follow, introduce that generosity and open the door for that prosperity. And when you consider this, it's worth thinking about and, and, and considering the greatest manifestation of generosity ever in human history and that's the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel. I mean, when we were absolutely owed nothing, but we were given everything, can you think of a more generous act than the life of Jesus Christ being given in your place? I can't. But to see that generosity opens the door for prosperity makes me want to pursue a life of generosity. And when we think prosperity, don't just think cha-ching, it's not about just something as simple or shallow as money's in an account. Prosperity is led to success. Think success. In fact, when I read these passages, oftentimes in my mind or in my head, I will substitute the word success for prosperity so that I don't get hung up on, on some you know, vocabulary limitation that I might have, and I might see it as more broad-reaching, that the generous man will be led to success. And it's easier for me to apply the concept of success to a, a broader range of relational uh, uh, aspects of my life, of, of physical aspects of my life, of, of any aspect of my life. To see that generosity will open the door for that success makes me want to pursue a life of generosity. Uh, here's another passage, again, from the Proverbs, Proverbs 13, 21. It says, adversity pursues sinners, but the righteous will be rewarded with prosperity. The righteous will be rewarded with prosperity. Well, again, feel free to substitute that word. The righteous will be rewarded with the direction to success. The way to success in any situation. I mean, the, the idea that righteousness will be the forerunner of success, that righteousness will be the forerunner of prosperity, 
again, makes me want to introduce the pursuit of righteousness into my life, whether that be through my prayers. You know, Father, show me how my words and my actions can be righteous. And once again, it makes perfect sense. Just before, as we saw that generosity would be manifest in its full measure in the life, death, resurrection, and presence in our lives of our King Jesus, you'll see the same here as well. I mean, that righteousness in and of our own is filth, but in Jesus, by faith, we walk in the righteousness of God. We have the full measure of righteousness through Jesus in our lives to make a way for success, or in this case, prosperity. And as we pursue those things, Father, lead me to a life of generosity. Lead me into a a life of righteousness. I think we can see clearly and understand clearly the importance of being led by his spirit, being led by the words and the counsel and the direction of Jesus. I like to use the, the term king oftentimes when I'm talking about Jesus, whether it's at home with my sons or, or in conversation with my wife or, or even speaking to, to men that I work with or, or in casual conversation, because I think the idea of Lord has become a little bit uh, cliche or watered down. Even though Lord is a great word, we don't really understand the, the measure of that as much as the idea that Jesus might be king. Now, should that be the case? It shouldn't be the case. Is that the case? Well, that's debatable, and it's just simply my opinion that the word king provokes, especially in me, a greater knowledge of present authority. The idea that Jesus is Lord is undeniable. I mean, demons will bow down and and acknowledge him as Lord, and Jesus even says there are those who will say, Lord, Lord, did we not do these things in your name? And he'll say, depart from me, I didn't know you. So I see those things, and I realize acknowledging Jesus as Lord in title really does not make Jesus your king. To have a king, a position of authority, to speak, to lead, to guide, to introduce counsel, and, and to introduce direction in situation or circumstance, that's really the relationship that we are entering into as we have a change of government from a domain of darkness into a kingdom of light. That's what the word promises. So as we consider Jesus, as we consider his example, as we consider his his life, as we consider who he is, the full manifestation of generosity, the full manifestation of righteousness, we have in us through Jesus, everything needed for success, everything needed for prosperity. It's hard for me to talk about Jesus as being king without acknowledging something that's very easy to read past in the scripture. And because it's something I'm so drawn to, it might be something that becomes repetitive, and I'm sure that it's been mentioned in messages before. But I want you to consider an element of the gospel from the scenes of the crucifixion, where you see such a, a tremendous disrespect in the mocking and in the, the, the scandalous treatment of an innocent man as he's beaten. And some of the, the, the descriptions are easy to read past and read over, but if you can pause and give thought and even imagine and picture it's really some of the most foul human behavior that could ever be recorded. I mean, the man who was a prophet, they blindfolded him and they circled around him and they took turns hitting him and then saying, hey, you're a prophet, tell us which one hit you. Which one of us did that one? Somebody else hit him. Which one of us hit you that time? 
almighty prophet. I mean, all the mocking and all of the, the, the disrespect and the spitting and the beating and the, the, the violence and the rage and the hate and all of these things. And then something happens that really stands out. I mean, when the beatings are finished and, and the mocking is, is, is over and the spitting has ceased and, and Jesus is finally nailed to the cross and lifted high, a sign is placed over his head. That sign says this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Now you've got to understand that this is no longer an extension of the mocking or else those who were mocking wouldn't care. They would think, ha ha, look at that. Somebody get that on Facebook. But there's no enjoyment, no embracing of this sign as another manifestation of mocking Jesus. Rather, there's deep offense. And those who were fine with the spitting and fine with the beating and fine with the crown of thorns and the, the mock robe and all of the fake bowing and then punching and slapping and ripping out of the beard, those who were fine with all of the mocking all of a sudden were offended and said, hey, you can't say that. That ought to tell you how important and powerful that statement is. He's my king. He's your king. And the idea that he could be mocked and spit on, but then when he's identified as king, that becomes offensive, ought to show us how important that statement truly is. So as we continue to see what our king brings into our life through prosperity, we see a door open up for success in every situation. If I can bring Jesus into this situation, I can bring success into this situation. I want to give you another passage from the Proverbs, Proverbs 28, 25. It says that an arrogant man stirs up strife, but he who trusts in the Lord will prosper. An arrogant man stirs up strife, but the one who trusts in the Lord will prosper. The one who trusts in the Lord, again, feel free to substitute the word, will succeed or will be led to success. Once again, we see where Jesus comes into play here. One who is completely void of arrogance, an absence of insecurity in his life that would lead him to, to be boastful or arrogant, but rather the, the picture of humility and one who's willing to trust, not only as we see in his example, as we see in the word, whether it be prophesied from the beginning or whether it be lived out and spoken of even after the events, one who would be willing to be obedient even unto death, even death on a cross. You see the embodiment of humility. It, it makes perfect sense that as I bring Jesus into my life, as I bring Jesus into my heart, into my mind, into my decisions, into my words, the door is open for the humility to bring about the prosperity. He who is the embodiment of humility is in me to lead, to guide, to direct. As we're talking about this, I want to offer a, a a thought here, and we're going to look at a passage of Scripture, and it's rather lengthy. I normally prefer to read small pieces of Scripture, but I want to turn to a section of Scripture because of its, its vital importance to the point of the message. And now the message is not just a weekly duty, but rather the message being what I believe God is speaking to, to us. And that obviously would include me. I'm a part of us. But I want to ask you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 15. 
The Gospel of John, chapter 15. Because when I see the, the things that God would call me to in, in prosperity in every aspect of my living, I have to ask myself, God, what are you doing in my life to bring this to pass? You're obviously at work in me. I mean, we sang that song about God constantly be, being working in your life or constantly being at work in your life is probably a better way to put it. I've been known to keep a, a pretty wild schedule. Uh, in fact, the, the past couple of, of years, specifically the past year and a half, it's been really a tough schedule. In fact, we've even taken that song and joked about it before as my favorite song. You know, uh, When we're home eating dinner, you're working. When we're all home in bed, you're still working. You never stop. You never stop working. Yeah. I mean, we, we've made fun of that. Well, I mean, it's honestly not funny. I mean, you got to rest. you got to be with your family, and, and that's important. But God is constantly at work in your life. He's never stopping the, the work that he began in you, and that work is that prosperity, leading you to success in every aspect of your living. And so when I'm seeking out, you know, Father, how are you doing this? I mean, I see in the Proverbs the things that, that exist around prosperity and open the, the door for it. How do I get those things in my life? I understand the importance of introducing that into my prayer life. Father, lead me to a, a generous life. Teach me how to be generous. Uh, Father, let me celebrate the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Let his righteousness be revealed and reflected in my words and in my choices and decisions for your glory. Uh, Father, let me not be an arrogant man, but let me trust in you to make a way and trust in you to make provision. I mean, these are all things that are, are great to pray about, but at the end of the day, I ask myself, how does that actually work? And I see in the scripture a direction and, and, a, and counsel and a, a, a way that God has made for us to have these things active in our life. And again, it's not a what, but it's a who. And that who is Jesus. John 15, I want to look at verse 1. We're going to read through verses uh, 1 through 11 here, and, and that's rather lengthy. We're going to make a few stops. Remember, not a what, but a who, and that who opens up this statement with I. This is Jesus speaking, and he's speaking of himself, and he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. He goes on to say that, that you're clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown as a branch that is dried up. They're gathered and they're cast into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, whatever you ask, it, it, it will be done for you. I, I want to pause there because I want to acknowledge the importance of, of what's being spoken here. Jesus is revealing something that really is the key to success. When you hear Jesus say, hey, if you're not catching this, you can't do anything. I mean, anything is pretty absolute, right? He didn't say, hey, some stuff won't work. 
it'll be hit or miss. You'll have a few occasional accidental successes, but if you really want to be consistent in being successful, you're going to want to apply this. He's basically saying, if you don't do this, nothing's going to work. Nothing is going to work. Raising your family, not going to work. Marriage won't work. Church won't work. Business won't work. Nothing will work if you don't catch this. So I see this as a priority one message. This must be in place as at the foundational level for success to exist in any aspect of my life. Or dare I say any aspect of your life or our lives collectively. And what Jesus is saying must be is we must be connected to him. To separate connection from him is to fail is to ruin all hope of success or prosperity in any situation or circumstance. Now, he uses a word here that we really don't use in our everyday vocabulary, and and I want to share a thought on that. He uses the word abide. When he acknowledges that that the, the need is to abide in him, and if we abide in him, we will bear fruit or be productive or be prosperous. But apart from him, if we don't abide in him, we can't do anything I mean, the word abide, for me, always meant to live with. You know, I mean, like Jesus, when he said, my father and I will come and make our abode with you. I always considered that as, as living together. And, and that's an interesting way to look at it. It's not a bad way to look at it. In fact, I think God desires habitation with you rather than visitation with you. And unfortunately, much of the church and the kingdom has become very visitation-oriented. You know, see Christmas and Easter, right? Or something along those lines. Or maybe if you're really devout, I'll see you on Sunday. And it's visitation mentality when what God has opened the door for is habitation to be together all the time. But when we see the word abide here, I want to offer a definition that that is relatively new to me, and it just comes straight from the dictionary. Uh, So nothing really exceptional about that. But to abide, from the dictionary, abide, to accept or act in accordance with. To accept or act in accordance with. Now, when I see that definition, all of a sudden, the power and the, the, the importance of the words that Jesus is saying here Just lift off the page to me. To accept or to act in accordance with. If I read this passage of scripture and substitute the definition for the word, here's what it would say. It would say, he who accepts or acts in accordance with me will be productive. He who does not accept or does not act in accordance with me will not be productive. This is about living, walking, speaking, doing everything in lockstep with Jesus himself. Doing things according to his counsel, doing things according to his way. That will mean some lifestyle changes. That will mean stopping and seeking his counsel. Being interested in his view or his perspective rather than just spouting off our own response to the situations and circumstances that we face. It may mean introducing some new disciplines until there are new habits formed. But if we will seek first his counsel, we have his promised result, and that promised result is prosperity, success, or fruitfulness. 
And then we see what that produces. I mentioned we were going to find what glorifies God. This is verse 8 as we continue to read in that passage. My father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. I mean, I used to read this passage of scripture and what I saw was, well, if you're going to prove that you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, then be fruitful. Well, I mean, that's not a bad way to look at it, but I also think that in this passage of Scripture that what we see that God's glorified by us being fruitful and that when God's glorified by us, we're proving to be his disciples, that we're doing the things that Jesus is leading us to do. The question is, what is a disciple and what does that mean? Can you be Jesus' disciple and not do what Jesus says? The answer to that is absolutely not. You might be in Jesus' fan club. You might be in the entourage that travels around and loves to listen to his shows, so to speak. But to be a disciple means to do things the way he does them, to mirror your life after him, to begin to speak the way he speaks, to begin to behave the way he behaves. That's really where you see discipleship. And through programs and Bible studies and, and things like that, labeled as discipleship programs in churches and, and, and elements like that, with very good intentions, we, we may have separated from the reality that it's not just about the gaining of information or the, the increase or acquisition of a higher Bible IQ or a greater you know, theological understanding, but rather this is about seeing Jesus so that we can be like Jesus. It's about hearing Jesus so that we can speak like Jesus. And what's really amazing is that's the example that he gives us when he says, I do the things that I see my father doing and I speak the things that I hear my father saying. We have the exact same call to do the things that we see our king doing and to say the things that we hear our king saying. It goes on to say this in verse 9, Just as the Father loved me, I also loved you. Abide in my love. Accept my love. Act in accordance with my love. Based on that definition of abide, to accept or to act in accordance with. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and I abide in his love. If you keep my commandments... You will accept and act in accordance with my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and I accept or act in accordance with his love. And I mentioned to you one of the final things we're going to find is the key to a joy-filled life. Listen to this last passage of Scripture. The effects of accepting and, and acting in accordance with Jesus. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. What a wonderful promise. I mean, that promise, the reward itself is enough to take this and begin to run it backwards. Not just simply motivated by doing the things that we're called and anointed and equipped to do through Jesus, but the awareness that the result is such a wonderful life-giving result. A life that is truly filled with satisfaction, which really is the result of, of, of the prosperity that's promised. And the joy not being conditional on situation or circumstance, not to be confused with situational happiness, but rather contentment with life. 
And it's that discontentment with life that leads to compromise choices and decisions that lead people into misery and bondage. And praise God that the grace of God has brought Jesus into our lives to lead us out of that trap and into the wonders of his prosperity. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. I want to pray and I want to ask God to do something in our lives. I want to ask God to, to show us Jesus as the vine. Now, I can tell you from my vocabulary, the idea that, that Jesus is the vine and I am the branch is the result of scripture memorization. As, as the agricultural guy that I am, I, it's easier for me to relate to Jesus being, you know, the root and, and me being the branch. I mean, he is the, the place where all the nourishment and all of the, the, the connection to that which produces uh, comes into existence. But no matter what we face, no matter what we deal with, no matter what the situation may be, no matter where the relationship may be, no matter how desperate the situation may be, the promise is if Jesus is the source, if we're connected to Jesus for the direction, for the counsel, for the empowerment, for the authority to deal with that situation, the result will be successful. And the idea that God is, is pruning away the things that are unfruitful simply means God is removing distractions from your life. And as God does that, he does it by the Holy Spirit, the introduction of convictions, you know, certain things that you used to participate in, you allow God to cut away because it doesn't produce anything good. It just produces distraction. And if that gets cut away, I'll have more time and more resources to put into the things that do produce good things. This is the promise that we have from God. That not only can he lead us to fruitfulness, but he can take that fruitfulness and, and shoot it into levels that we've never even thought or dreamed or hoped of. But not only can life be good, but life can be amazing. And the things that we want, the goals that we have, as great as those goals may be, are just the starting point for where God is taking us. Because he's glorified by our success. As a father loves his children, God gets the biggest kick out of you being successful. I want to pray and I want to ask God to, to open our eyes to Jesus as the vine. That we could be committed to those, the, the, the branches that are producing the fruit that bring God glory. Father, we bless your name and we thank you that you've made a way for us to be successful in every aspect of our lives. We thank you that Jesus is the vine. We thank you for his example, his humility, his righteousness. We rejoice in his generosity. That not only would he achieve such a wonderful thing as to overcome and conquer sin and death, but that he would so freely and willingly share that victory with us. Let his example be set before our eyes. And let every source for success pale in comparison to the source that is our King Jesus. Let us cast aside and reject every other perceived source of success and let us hold fast to the vine that will bring about prosperity into every aspect of our life. Let us seek Jesus in everything we do. 
And let it be that His example might be set before our eyes, that we might live out our lives in such a way that we speak His words, that we do His actions. And let the resulting prosperity and victory bring you honor and glory, that you would look upon your children, that you would see them successful, and that you might be glorified. We bless your name and we thank you. Let every work that must be done come to pass by your Spirit. Let our minds be renewed and let our hearts be softened. Let our ears be turned to hear your voice. Everything that you would cut away as the vine dresser, let it be cut away. Everything that would take away the resources and be a distraction and be destructive to our lives, let those things be cut away and let them be cast aside. And let all that is fruitful and productive continue to produce and produce even more. We bless your name and we thank you for the success that you've called us to. And we rejoice in your love for us, that you desire to see us prosper. Let that lift our countenance. Let that fill us with joy, that we have a heavenly Father that loves to see us victorious. We bless your name and we thank you in the mighty name of Jesus. And all the saints declared, Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at Champs Church.